blurb. I'm not making any commission on that one either. Um, really, the, I'll tell you one of the many reasons why I want you to buy books. It's because I really believe in mercy. The more books you buy, the more merciful you will be towards Bill and Carrie. They won't have to pack them up and carry them back. So please, buy out the whole stock. There's good things there. For tonight, let me mention one thing about the camping book. We've lost more people from Harold Camping than we did from the World Trade Center tragedy. We have over the years had to deal with a man who listens to nobody. The tragedy is that a man that has done so much to influence people for some of the Reformed faith is a man who has no right even to be regarded today as a believer in Christ. The Bible's order is that if people will not hear the church, they're to be regarded as Gentiles and tax gatherers. And Mr. Camping listens to nobody except himself. And if your areas like ours has been influenced by such pernicious teaching, you really need the benefit of James White's excellent, excellent book, Dangerous Airwaves. Uh, but if you're not aware of what's going on, or please, if you've got friends who are under the influence of that man, by all means, get them this book. Uh, because uh, the stuff that's coming out of that man's broadcast turns the Bible right on its head. And also for tonight, because we're dealing with the theme of idolatry, and one of the reasons I want to push Mr. Camping's book tonight is that man is an idol to people. Believe me, the idolatrous loyalty that people have to that man is scary. Um, a couple of the books for tonight that fit with the theme of idolatry, you wouldn't think about it, um, but top of the list by Ed Welch again, when people are big and God is small, what we're dealing with tonight deals with making people like Nebuchadnezzar very big and too many who made God all too small. Uh, but this is a very probing and helpful book. It's supposedly about overcoming peer pressure, codependency, but above all, overcoming the fear of man. Fear of man brings a snare. And Welch diagnoses the fear of man and so forth. A very helpful book. I've not read this, uh, but if Carrie adds it, recommends it, and others have recommended it that I know and respect, then I'll recommend it too. At least Fitzpatrick's Idols, um, Idols of the Heart, Learning to Long for God Alone, which is also the theme of tonight. And uh, if this is what people say it is, and the comments on it have been excellent, it really will fit perfectly. Dave Paulison's comment on this demonstrates how false gods generate the garden variety sins of irritability, self-pity, escapism, and anxiety, as well as anger, despair, addictions, and panic. Fitzpatrick shows how Jesus Christ retakes our lives from these idols, setting up his reign over our attention, loyalty, and affections. What a great way to talk about the gospel. Does Christ reign over your attention, loyalty, and affections? And so the book deals with that theme. And then another one that I'm not familiar with, but I was intrigued with it when I looked at it today. Dennis Hustet's Firm in the Faith, a training manual for Christian growth put out by Evangelical Press. And this takes parts of the catechism and breaks it down for young people, particularly high school people, to learn as to how they can apply these things in their lives. And what intrigued me was a whole section in here about dilemmas and how, as Christians, you face various dilemmas in life and seek to, to function biblically in light of them. So this is kind of a neat little book. Uh, for those of you with teenagers, you might find that useful. And again, I get no commission, but I want you to be merciful to the adzits and go home with good stuff to read. Because if you're reading good stuff, you won't read the bad. 
Alrighty, tonight we are on page 19. We are making haste. Evening plenary section, Daniel 3. Children, Bill, do we have handouts for the children? They got them? You children? Oh, what a beautiful canary yellow page. Especially for the children. Tonight, draw a picture of the idol on the plain of Dura. May they pass these in? Do they get a little award if they really do a neat picture? Of the plain of Dura? Oh, okay. That's great. You get that? The best picture of this. Now, if people bow down to it, they're really in trouble. But if you draw a real neat picture, it'll go in a newsletter. Was it a camp newsletter? Will I get a copy of it? I'd love a copy of it. All right. We're in Daniel, chapter 3. There's only one thing we need to do before we have the quiz. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have exalted the Lord Jesus to be a king, to reign over us, to rule over us and defend us and to restrain and conquer all of his and our enemies. Thank you that you have exalted Jesus to be our great priest who once offered himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and who continually makes intercession for us. And thank you that you exalted Jesus as a prophet to teach us by his word and spirit your will for our salvation. Lord Jesus, even as we ask that you will reign over us and intercede for us, now we pray that you will teach us tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now children, are you ready for your quiz? What does B.C. stand for? Calvin, what is it? Before Christ. That means before what? What part of the Bible is before Christ? What? Genesis 2. You can give a real convenience. I'll give you a hint. Is the Old Testament or the New Testament before Christ? Excellent. Old Testament. Very good. What is A.D.? It does not mean what? It does not mean after death. What does A.D. mean? You've got to give me the Latin term. Anno Domine, which means what? Anno, like annual, means yes. Year and Domine of, of the Lord. Year of the Lord. Very good. We started out easily. What does Daniel mean? You didn't stop. Yes, dear. Lorian, right? Yeah, now her name is Lorian. That's not your name. Matthew. <laughs> I knew you were a hit. You're on my hit list. Matthew, what? <laughs> New York, that's a very dangerous thing to say. What a, Matthew, what, what does Daniel mean? Were you going to say God has judged? I could tell. You got it right. Excellent. Matthew got that one right. God has judged, like the t- tribe of Dan. God has judged, just simply judge. Hananiah, that's an easy one. Hananiah, what does Hananiah mean? Debbie, right? You're not Debbie? Oh, no, no. Hmm? Oh, that's, that's Melissa. No, wait a minute. No, you're Melissa. Do you know what Hananiah means? Who knows what Hananiah means? Yes, one of the young men over there with a the brown striped shirt. I'm sorry? Jehovah has been gracious. Excellent. Very good. Mishael. Mishael. Yes, Van, What? Who is what God is? Hey, you're doing well. You're on a roll. 
Azariah. Azariah. Yes. Jehovah has helped. Excellent. Very good. Now the real hard ones. Belteshazzar. What? Yes. Lori. I'll ask Lori in this time. What? Very good. Well, that wasn't. You must. Lorian must be a ventriloquist. She threw her voice. It sounded exactly like yours. That's quite a skill. That's very good. May Baal protect us. Shadrach. Shadrach. Yes. In the yellow top. The one who's engaged to Jesus. Right. The, right, the command of Haku. Of Aku. And you know who Aku was? No, he's not from Star Wars. The star, that's right. The, the moon god. Right. Meshach. Yes. Who is what Aku? Are these children doing great or what? Hey, this is super. You're not done yet. Abednego. Abednego. Yes. Servant of Nabu. Right. Servant of that Star Wars figure. Nabu. What's Pulse? <laughs> What's tofu? It is not tofu, incidentally. It's probably vegetable kind of stuff, but you know, I wanted something yucky, so I called it, I called it uh, tofu. Um, all right, let's see. And then, a little bit, a couple of other questions, and we're done in our quiz tonight. What is the theme of Daniel? Adults can answer this one too. What's the theme of Daniel? God will thwart all of his opponents. Very good. And the last question for tonight, Babylon represents the world. Excellent. Now we're in Daniel chapter 3. You all did well in the quiz. Give yourself a big round of applause. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king, Babylonian empire, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. How much is a cubit? What is it? Somebody had it back there. Yeah, it's about a foot and a half. So, now let's see if you children know multiplication. What's 60 cubits? About how many feet? Oh, I know Grover knows it. How many? 90 feet. Excellent. What about six? Hmm? There's a man that studied. Product of good American education. And then six cubits is what? Nine feet. This thing is about 90 feet high and probably about nine feet at the base. Nebuchadnezzar builds this thing. Incidentally, 60 multiples of six. In the Bible, six is often used as the number of man. That's right. And this was even used back then. It represents something that was an image to man. This is probably after B.C., before Christ, 586. By that time, Nebuchadnezzar would have invaded Jerusalem, invaded the temple, had brought to Babylon almost all of the exiles, left just a remnant in Israel, some of whom later went to Egypt. When you have a signal victory over a nation that was loyal to its gods, in the ancient Near East, you would build a big statue to show that you were victorious. That's why the language of he set it up in the plain of Dura. Dura means a rampart in the province of Babylon. This 
90 foot by 9 foot statue overlaid with gold. And interestingly, we don't know if this was from that statue or not, but in the 19th century, the late 19th century, in the southern part of the Babylon of that time, there was found an archaeological excavation, a pedestal of about 45 feet by 20 feet on which apparently there had been a big statue and some believe that that was the statue. We don't know, but those kinds of things were built back then. And so this is an image that deifies man. It represents the sum of all non-Christian religion and it represents his victory over the God of the Israelites. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This was to be a major state ceremony. Every government official on every level, cabinet officers, people involved with state affairs, policymakers, governors, regional leaders, local judges, everybody was to come to celebrate this erecting of a statue which, you will note, is written under the inspiration of God which King Nebuchadnezzar set up. It always goes back to the fact that it is an image supposedly representing his power. So, the satraps, administrators, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now watch what happens. Then a herald cried out, To you, I should have Mr. Pontier do this, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Because apparently there were representatives from throughout the Babylonian Empire that at that time circumscribed many nations. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery. These were horns, these were stringed instruments, something for psaltery was like bagpipes. When you hear them in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. I think this is the original praise band. They have all the instruments for this worship. This is true contemporary worship. It is designed for that time and for those people. And like so much contemporary worship, notice that its focus is completely on man. In fact, this is the original seeker-sensitive service. Note the next verse. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. We are seeker-sensitive. If you don't fall down and worship the image when the praise band plays, we will seek you out and we will throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. That was the state ceremony. And notice the slavery that is here. Notice the mindless character of world religion. You do what we say you bow down to our idols and you bear our punishments 
if you don't obey. That is slavery. Religion of man that turns you to man or some other aspect of the created order and that forces you to do that homage is slavery. Later there would be one who would come and say, when the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is institutionalized religious slavery. Ultimately, it is the worship of man. Worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now notice that you can still worship your God. They didn't say anything to the people about not worshiping other gods. They simply said, at this point, you've got to fall down and worship this God that we have set up. You can worship your God, but not exclusively. You've got to be ecumenical. Either bow or burn in the worship of man. Very neat, easy proposition. So, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, the praise band plays its music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, brothers and sisters, you've got to imagine what it's like if you're on the plain of Dura. You are told that you are to bow down. And there are people watching you, and if you don't, and you're going to be very conspicuous, if you stand up when everybody else is down, you're going to lose your life. All you've got to do is bow down. It's not going to take long. The ceremony is going to be done very, very quickly. And imagine all of the excuses that you would make on the plain of Dura. And it's only a little ceremony, right? It's just a little thing. It's not going to last long. And besides, isn't worship really just a matter of the heart? You hear that all the time. Well, it's not the forms. It's a matter of the heart. Or people saying, you know, we need to be loyal citizens. Got to be loyal citizens of Babylon. Doesn't God raise up kings and bring them down? And He raised this one up. And so it's okay to bow to the image. Or another one. I've got a family to support. Don't expect me to get thrown in the firm. Who's going to provide for my family? Or another one. Let's not go to extremes. That's a good one. You know, I know it says something in the Old Testament about not bowing down to images, but let's not be too radical about all this stuff. Now, don't think that wouldn't have gone on in the minds of many, and you know how you know it, is because all but three of them did bow down. And so whether it was that excuse or some others, they all did exactly what God said, and He meant it when He said, you shall not bow down yourself to graven images. And I remind you that that is the moral law. It is not something that is abrogated with the coming of Christ. The prophecy of Jeremiah is, I will write my law in your hearts. In the New Covenant, the Spirit writes the moral law in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And the New Testament does say that idolaters don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is no small matter. People ask, where's Daniel? 
in all of this? Well, a better question, where's all the other young people that were brought other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? But that jumps a little bit ahead. People were to bow down to the image that was set up. Now notice verses 8 through 12. And notice the wonderful friends that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans... Now remember the Chaldeans from the morning. These are the wise people. These are the leaders. These are the big honchos. These are the movers and shakers of Babylon who've been thwarted once and probably weren't very happy about it. They came forward. An altar call in the Old Testament. We are coming forward to tell you that there are certain people who didn't bow down. And they accused the Jews. This was an anti-Semitic response. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You think the king would have gotten the message the last time, but apparently he didn't. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Because, king, your word is law. This is what you said, and we're reminding you of your promises. There are certain Jews whom you have set up over the affairs of province of Babylon. Chapter 1. That's what the Nebuchadnezzar did in raising these men up because they ate the tofu and honored the Lord. These are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King, these are your advisors. And King, we just wanted to let you know these men, O King, have not paid due regard to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up, which is a very pleasant, courteous way of saying these men are traitors. Now the king is in a dilemma. He has told all the people, you don't bow down to the statue, you go in the fiery furnace. These people did not bow down to the statue. The king knows that if they didn't bow down to the statue, they are showing to all the people around them, who are probably looking around to see if anybody stood up, that they are traitors to the king. So the king is impaled on the horns of a dilemma. If he doesn't do something with these birds, then people aren't going to believe his word. And also, it's going to seem that he's harboring traitors. So these are very clever friends of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, Where's Daniel? Where's everybody else? Why only these three? Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they brought these men before the king. Now, I don't want to read into the text, but these were young men of like passions as we are. And I could pretty well guarantee you that these people probably were kind of sweaty-palmed and scared at that point. And if you've got a national leader who can cast you in a big old furnace and burn you in an instant, don't think you're not going to be scared if you know, I didn't bow down to the idol. The king said, into the fiery furnace. And now we get a call to go visit him. Especially when the king's furious. That doesn't help either. You know what it's like, children, when your daddy's furious? You have disobeyed daddy. And you know it, 
and how foolish you were. You know you can't get away with it, but you did it anyway. And a few minutes later, you hear from your white-faced sister, Daddy wants to see you. And that's bad enough. But when she says, and I have never seen Daddy so mad in his entire life, you are not a happy camper. And so they're brought to the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, now notice he's going to let them off. He's a little glimmer of mercy in his eye. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold image that I've set up? He's going to let them get off the hook. Now, if you're ready at the time, we'll let the praise band play again, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good, I'm going to give you one more chance. Because Nebuchadnezzar is saying this way, I can get off the hook. I don't want to lose these advisors. But, if you don't worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Kind of like discipline in the home. We love in family discipline to give our children a choice. We'll give you a choice. You either clean the room or you get a spanking. And so he says, here you've got a choice. Either bow down or you go in the furnace. Now I want you to note the next phrase because it's going to come up later. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Let me give you a lesson about all state religions. It's in your booklet. And that's what this is. It's a state religion. They are all religions of force. All imposed state religion is a religion of force. Nazism was a state religion. Communism, a state religion. Islam is a state religion. They are all religions of force. You either bow down to our idols or you are punished. Over against the gospel of grace, I drew them with cords of love. The Lord seeks after His people. We love Him because He first loved us. Song of Solomon. He pursued me and I ran after Him. Goodness and mercy will pursue me all of my days and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the exact opposite of the religion of the state. The kingdom of God at every point is distinct from the kingdoms of this world. Now notice the incredible pressure on these young men. Nebuchadnezzar says, you are to have no other gods before me at that point. You bow down to the image. These boys have no doubt been well trained by their parents. Hats go off to their covenant parents who taught them from the commandments. You shall not bow down to any graven image. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You are to have no other gods before me. Nebuchadnezzar, you have no other gods before me. Jehovah, you have no other gods before me. Young people, what would you do? Adults, what would you do? 
Because that's what they're faced with at this point. Verses 16 through 18 are, I think, the most wonderful confession of faith in all of the Old Testament. And parents, I can think of few things you could do at this camp with your children that would be better than memorizing with them these next three verses. These are the kinds of verses, along with ones with Daniel when he, and the plot against prayer that will be coming up, his response. These are the kinds of verses that if they are part children of the, of the way you think, and adults, if they're part of the way you think and setting an example to your children, may well protect your children from falling prey to idolatry in the future. These are glorious verses. Mark them, highlight them, memorize them. Worship my image, or into the furnace you go, and who is a God who will deliver you from my hands? Notice the respect these men show for the king and the resolution. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, Not you miserable idolater! They said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they respected this man for his office. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's another way of saying we don't even need to think about it. Um, all the other people on the plains who are saying, i got a family to support. It's only a ceremony. Religion is a matter of the heart. It's just for a moment. They said, we don't even need to think about this. What a glorious confession. Decisions already made. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, if you're going to cast us immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Who is a God who will deliver you from my hands? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. What a great confession. You have it with people who go to their bosses and the boss says, you don't do this assignment because you say it violates your conscience and you're going to lose your job. And who is going to pay for the food for your children? My God, whom I serve, is able to provide for me and for my children. So I love the story of the old Puritan. He's on his horse. And people kind of sneered at him because he had 12 children. And he was on his horse. And the person came up to him kind of snidely said, I, you are the preacher that has 12 children. Why, you have the same number of children that Jacob had. And he said, I do. And I have the same God to provide for them. And I see, that's the same thing here. They said it respectfully. Our God, whom we serve, notice what they say, Nebuchadnezzar will serve you. They were servants of the king but we serve our God first, is able. He has the power to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But, if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's a magnificent, heart-rending, 
glorious confession of faith. And I believe that's a good example in the Old Testament. It certainly does prefigure Christ who said to the devil, I'm not going to bow down and worship you for the kingdoms of the world. But it's a good model for all believers who ought to say exactly the same thing. Now notice, they're not first concerned with their own hides. You know, that's the view in our Christianity today. Why should we follow Jesus? Because it's good for you. It's like vitamins. You'll be healthy and strong. And God is so concerned to make you happy and good and He wouldn't do anything that would jostle your own ego and self-esteem. And that's why you should follow Jesus. Because He sanctifies your ego trip. These say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He's got that power and He can do it. Health and wealth and prosperity God. But, even if He doesn't, we're not going to serve your gods. Because the honor of God was more important than the safety of their own hides. What an amazing confession that is. I love the statement of Herman Belkamp. You can fill it in in your booklets in here. The fear of the fiery furnace, he said, made everyone kneel. But the fear of the Lord kept them from kneeling. Isn't that great? The fear of the fiery furnace made everyone kneel. But the fear of the Lord kept them from kneeling. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No more chances for them. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Several hundred degrees of heat. Incidentally, these furnaces look like big bottles made of ceramic. And they must have had many layers of ceramic. And there were actually openings at the top and apparently some, I don't know how they did it, toward the front so you could look in in some way. They look like huge bottles made of ceramic. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated and he commanded certain mighty men of valor were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats and their trousers and their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire that came out of the top or the opening of that bottle-like thing killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so hot. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Three men in the furnace paying the price for obedience. What is the cross? It is paying the price of obedience no matter what the cost. This is bearing the cross in the Old Testament. Now we're going to find out what happens in a moment. But let's think about this. As a believer, you're not to bow down to the idols of this world. And not bowing down to the idols of this world does not mean that things may be hunky-dory for you. It means you may suffer punishment. But there's really nothing like this that happens in our own day, is there? Oh, I would suggest it's all over the place. Don't work on Sunday. Don't get a job. Wait till your children turn 14 or 16 and got to go out to work. And then push comes to shove. 
And you say, now I know you want to work and save money for college. That's a good thing to do. God has ordained that we labor six days. And the work that they're going to get at that age, in many cases, has got to be done on Sunday. And young people, you say, and it's non-negotiable, unless it's a work of necessity or mercy, and don't stretch that one. I really would like to work for you, but I cannot work on Sunday because that's the day I honor the Lord. Consequences that come, or school band, or athletics, where a special game is played only on Sunday. And notice all the rationalizations. Well, it's really rest. It is. In football, when you're bashing one another on the field, that's worship. It's necessary. That's a work of mercy. Are you kidding? But you see how we reason. You can come up with your excuses. Well, you can't play on the team then. Well, don't play on the team. Is it that important to you that you sin against God? Then, my friend, you have an idol. And idolaters are in a bad place. A certain union vow reads this way. My fidelity to the union and my duty to the members thereof shall in no sense be interfered with by any allegiance that I may now or hereafter owe to any other organization, social, political, religious, or otherwise. I hope you're not a member of that union because that's putting your union above your God. And notice how all the rationalism... But I can't work in that field, in that place... Is your God not able to provide for you? Christian doctors and nurses. 1982, there was the court case of infant Doe. This was a baby born with a birth defect and her parents did not want her. A lower court ruled and the appeals court agreed that the baby did not have the right to live. By law, upon threat of punishment for disobedience, doctors and nurses were prohibited from feeding infant doe. The baby was locked in a closet, the door was barred, the baby screamed, and after six days it died. Where were the Christian doctors and nurses, or even the non-Christian doctors and nurses, who were unwilling to bow down to the idol of a woman's right to choose? But upon punishment of disobedience, you are dealing with a matter of worship. Whom do you worship? Christian parents in North Dakota some years ago were faced with a state Supreme Court decision that declared, quote, the state's interest in educating children outweighs parental First Amendment religious rights. Quote, although the freedom to hold religious beliefs is absolute, the freedom to act on those beliefs, even if the action is in accord with religious convictions, is not totally free from legislative restrictions was dealing with the fact that when the state tells you you must have X number of days and a certain type of education, you must submit. 
And my friends, I believe in complying with the laws of the state at every point until they interfere with the laws of King Jesus. But when it comes to the state and education, I remind you, your children are not the states. They are Christ. He claims them at the time of baptism and says, you are mine. And however you educate your children with public schools, home schools, or Christian schools, or a combination of the three, or something different, you are to do it self-consciously knowing you don't bow down to the idol of the state where the state tells you to disregard Christ. And if I sound like I'm serious about it, you know why? It's because I'm blood earnest about it. Because that's exactly the kind of thing that these men faced. They are in the furnace. And so what happens in the furnace? In the furnace, they don't burn. There's three there, but look, there's really four. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, It's true. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. They're not bound anymore. They're walking in the midst of the fire. They're free in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the form of the youth of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now that could be a son of the gods, an angelic messenger, common term that was used back then, some supernatural being that was there, or it could refer, as I believe it does, whether the king understood it or not, as a theophany. It was Christ Himself. Look with me at Isaiah 43. Remember that in the Old Testament, God was teaching children. Now, you know how you use object lessons with your children? Very physical things, things they can smell, things they can taste, things they can feel, as a way to teach them things down the line. God did the same thing in the Old Testament. He gave promises, and He would give very physical, tangible things to prove them. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, This is Jehovah. This is Yahweh. Jehovah who would become flesh and dwelt among us. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They were His. He was theirs. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the what? The fire. You won't be burned nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Not just literal fulfillments of the Old Testament in the New, there's literal fulfillments of the Old Testament in the Old. God says, this is how literally that promise is kept. In the burning, fiery furnace, I am right there with you. And the flame will not scorch you. It will not destroy you. These people were brought through death and were made more than conquerors. There's an apocryphal tradition about what it was like for these boys in the furnace. It reads, The angel of the Lord made the midst of the furnace as if it were a moist, whistling wind, so that the fire touched them not at all, neither hurt nor troubled them. Well, I don't know if that's the case, but it certainly is something like this. They are free. And then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace, Apparently, at least that he cooled down enough so he could get there and speak. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not my servants, 
but servants of the Most High God, God above all gods, come out, come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire, some horizontal entrance to it. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and kings, counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Literally no condemnation at all to these people. The world is beholding what Jehovah does. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Now watch, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Notice verse 15. He has said just a few minutes before, Who's the God who will deliver you from my hands? And now he's made to confess again for the second time, Blessed be your God who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. That's what the word frustrated. The Lord said, that's not making a difference. I'll frustrate it for you. And I'll use these men as my instruments. And yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Here again is a reluctant acknowledgement of the power of that God. These men were free. The others who bowed were in bondage. Now notice that the king doesn't have anything like saving faith. It is their God who delivered them. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss, not against the God that I claim, but against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now, we need to honor this God in our pantheon of gods too. He's not become an exclusivist yet in his understanding of the faith. Anyone who says anything against their God, we don't want to be on the bad side of that God, shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, this is not the kind of guy that you want for your next door neighbor. He seems to have a real penchant for wanting to burn people, tearing them from limbs to limb, and also making their homes an ash heap. His mind doesn't work in real big channels, but they run deep. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Now notice what he's saying. He's not saying there isn't a moon God and there isn't a sun God. But now we've got another God. We've got a God that's a delivering God. And so we'll put him up there too and we'll honor him as well. And how thankful we are that we've got some of his faithful representatives here. But he says we need to tolerate that God. Interesting. It was 313 A.D. Anno Domine, year of our Lord. The Roman Empire had tried for decades, for centuries, to wipe out the Christian church. Persecutions were more or less isolated or general. They couldn't do it. The more they persecuted the church, the more the church grew. And so there was the kind of, if you can't beat them, join them philosophy. 313 A.D., the Roman emperor of that time issued the Edict of Milan, which said, no more persecutions against Christians, the Christian church should be regarded as one of the many religions that make up our beautiful Roman Empire. One commentator on the Edict of Milan said, The ruler of the civilized world lay his crown at the feet of the crucified Jesus of Nazareth. Very similar to what happened here. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There was victory number three 
For the Lord God, who has as his theme in this book, I'm going to thwart all of my opponents. A couple of lines of application for tonight. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 11 says, this is an example of the power of faith. Through faith, people quenched fires and stopped the mouths of lions and worked righteousness and were valiant. And that's what is illustrated here. The grace of Jesus Christ in these men so that they were faithful in the midst of adversity. And I cannot, cannot, cannot impress upon you too greatly, especially you children, how important acting out your faith in Christ is. Who is regarded as the most significant figure of the second millennium Anno Domini? Who is regarded as the most significant figure from the year 1001 to the year 2001, which incidentally was the real beginning of the new millennium? Who's the most significant figure? Gutenberg. Excellent. Number one. Who was the second most influential? Who was the second most influential figure of the second millennium Anno Domini? Now, go on. Light bulbs that enable us to read more things we don't understand. Yes. Martin Luther. Exactly right. See, Martin Luther gave Gutenberg some things he could print. You know why Gutenberg was the most influential? What did he publish? The Bible. Isn't that amazing? Even Time magazines got to acknowledge the power of the Bible. They won't have to do it again for another thousand years. And Martin Luther, why? The reason we have our Western civilization as we knew it was because of a German monk whose heart had been taken hold of by the Word of God. Anxious about his own soul in great despair and discouragement and fear that he will be in hell because of his own sins. A Puritan before the time. Luther is made to study the Word of God by the order of a monk in which he learns that the Gospel is a Gospel of righteousness that is from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by their faith. Luther realized it is by a faith alone, in Christ alone, as he is made known in the Word of God alone, who is to be believed. And Luther's whole being was completely transformed in a paradigm of grace. And now all of the empire is up in arms over this monk who is rattling the cage of the Roman Catholic Church and the princes who are the toadies to the priests. And Martin Luther, upon pain of death, is brought to worms where he must give, and for you children, that's not those creepy things that go on the ground, it's a place in Germany where there was a great tribunal and Luther was told, you recant of the things that you have written or your life isn't, we would say, worth a plug nickel. And Martin Luther, in the most dramatic turning point of the modern world, said, for me to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. And he didn't stop there. 
My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. God helping me. And that was a modern Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And our world is different because of it. The power of one lowly monk to change a world. A J. Gresham Nation, the one whom God used as a human founder of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, who said obedience to the order of the Presbyterian Church USA in the way demanded by the General Assembly would involve substitution of a human authority for the authority of the Word of God. That's the kind of faith that we need in our own day. Not arrogant, not rancorous, not mean, not hateful, not malicious, not spiteful, not in an unholy way stubborn, but that says, this is what God has said in His Word and I ain't budging. And my God, whom I serve, is able to deliver me and even if He doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to the idol. And children, you can have all kinds of idols to face and parents, you're going to have to teach your children just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents did about what to do when they're faced with bowing down to the idol. First lesson, the power of faith. And it is incredibly powerful. That's why I love the statement that's written down here by Philip Schaff. One man with the truth on his side is stronger than a majority in error and will conquer in the end, and that is true. Second lesson. Even as Christ was with those men in the furnace, taking the cross that they bore and leading them to the crown, so Christ becomes the epitome of what these men are. You think a burning, fiery furnace is bad, we confess He descended into hell. From the Garden of Gethsemane, until He cried out, It is finished. Our Lord bore in His soul and in His body the fullness of all of what hell meant for every single one of the people for whom He died. Far worse than any burning, fiery furnace. And our Father brought Him through all of that so that when you go through whatever your burning, fiery furnaces of life are like, He really is there with you. His promise is, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Paul says, The Lord will deliver me out of every evil work, and He will keep me for His heavenly kingdom. And when Stephen himself becomes the first Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of the New Testament, there's a great quiz question for you tomorrow night. Who's the first... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of the New Testament other than Christ. Stephen. He's being martyred for his faith. Won't bow down to the idol of the Pharisees. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God ready to act on his behalf. You see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his power in this text. And you know when it might come to you? Not in a burning, fiery furnace like this. But when it comes to a terminal illness you may have, or in the minutes before you die and you wonder what's going to happen when your eyeballs close and you can say, Oh death, where's your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God, He gives me the victory through Jesus Christ the Lord. And you'll know what it is to commune with these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through a death experience and coming out alive. But the big lesson tonight, go back 2,500 years ago. What would you do? What would you do when the praise band plays and you've got to bow down to the idol? 
I would suggest that you prepare for that time that may come to you when you will be called to that test. And you memorize these verses. We have no need to answer you in this matter. Our minds are already made up. These are idols. We will not bow down to them. Our God, whom we serve, is able to A. Provide for us B. Protect us C. Keep us D. Deliver us are all four depending on the circumstances but our God is able to do that. My King has all authority in heaven and on earth and respectfully you say to the big honcho who tempts you he's got your heart right in his own hand. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we will not bow down to the idol that you set up. And I'm going to tell you, if we had a host in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church like that, I would say, Lord, let me depart in peace. I have seen your glory come in all of the earth. But may the Lord use this message tonight to make us people who are worshipers of the true and living God and who say, no idols for me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please give us wisdom and discernment as we live in this modern Babylon regarding the many idols that surround us. Idols of sports, idols of education, idols of money, idols of prestige, idols of honor, idols in specifically the religious world, idols regarding our future security, whatever they would be. And our Lord, we pray that you will give us discernment about what they are so we won't be deceived by them. And then don't let us bow down to them in the more dramatic calls to do so and in the day-by-day calls to do so either. Please make us to be a people who have written in our own hearts by the stylus of the Holy Spirit the fact that we are to have no other gods before us and we are not to worship any images made by man. Give us a holy, rooted, and unshakable conviction that you will be our God through Jesus Christ and we will have no other. God help us to that end. Amen. Now don't leave. 